0: subscribe, like, notification bell, comment,
1: <laughs> Do all of that Do stuff. It.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Why wouldn't you want to? Agreed. It only takes a second. Right. And we're live. Um, <laughs> what's up, dude? What's up, bro? And
1: we're live. Yep. And we're live. Uh, so... Hey, it's good to be back with everybody talking about Genesis uh, 15. Um, Obviously, we've got some more important stuff that happens with Abram today. Uh, Let's just get right into it. Henry, do you want to hit up the first section?
0: Yes. Genesis chapter 15. Abram promised a son. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying do not fear abram i am a shield to you your reward shall be very great abram said "O lord god what will you give me since i am childless and the heir of my house is eliezer of damascus and abram said since you have given no offspring to me one born in my house is my heir then behold The word of the lord came to him saying this man will not be your heir but one who will come forth from your own body he shall be your heir and he took him outside and said now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them and he said to him so shall your descendants be then he believed in the lord and he reckoned It to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, "O Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away.
1: Yeah, so in this first section, um, I feel that we have some very legitimate concerns by Abram, right? Like Abram is bringing up that he's still childless um we have god making a promise before and I, once again i mean this is a legitimate concern by abram like hey you know this hasn't happened yet um i understand you're promising me these things and um you know abram is taking steps in faith to move forward but he just doesn't see the things that god is promising him yet so he's sharing those concerns Uh, And then God reassures him. Uh, God reassures him that it will happen.
0: Right. Absolutely. And this is actually the fourth time that God ultimately speaks to Abram. And if you notice kind of here at the top, you might be wondering why um, the Lord says, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. If you recall from the previous chapter, Abram went and saved his nephew Lot from the four kings and defeated them in battle. Well, whenever you do something like that, you're going to potentially make some enemies, right? And um, and so there, there might Abram might have felt some fear due to that. Of course, God is not only promising. Abram' descendants, but also a area of land as well, mm-hmm. that will belong to his descendants. So there's some of these challenges that have shown up along the way. In chapters 12 through 14, a lot of the issues were really around the land, the area of land that God was ultimately promising um, Abram. First off, <laughs> Abram is, has some challenges with food, so he ends up going to Egypt. Um, no bueno. No bueno at all. Um, not only that, there's you know, some, some battles that are ultimately in, in the land as well. Um, you know, First off, Lot and Abram have a little bit of strife between their people groups. And so they ultimately decide to split one way and another. And then, of course, there's this big battle. And so now there's kind of this contention going on in this land. What you'll see in chapter 15 and kind of onward, will be more about Abram's descendants as opposed to his land. And these are both promises, of course, from God. So so a lot of interesting um, things going on here. Additionally, with regards to your reward shall be very great. If you notice in the previous chapter, Abram actually doesn't accept the reward from the king of Sodom. He says that he ultimately doesn't uh, want anyone to be confused about how Abram became um, wealthy in a sense, and he didn't want to—he didn't want credit to get it, go to anyone other than God. And so. Now the Lord is talking about your reward. Your reward shall be very great. And really that reward um, seems to read that it's the the land and the descendants. And so this is just, again, God offering more assurances and and telling Abram another time that, hey, this is all going to happen. And something else very unique happens in this paragraph here. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay. This is Abram believing in the Lord and it being reckoned to him as righteousness. That's there, Justin.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great, it's a key point. And, and this is referenced in the book of Hebrews 11 as well. And so this is just kind of um, proof. I mean, salvation has always come by faith in God, faith alone. I think, sometimes people get confused about in the new Testament's faith and the old Testament as works. It was always about faith. Uh, and, and that, that makes this clear. Um, so yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's this idea that faith makes us, us righteous in, in the spiritual sense of how God sees us. And so we see that, um, in the book of Romans, the new Testament, that when we put our faith in Jesus, he takes away our sins, and then he gives us his righteousness. And so that's why faith makes us righteous. Um, it's not something we worked for. It's, um, it's in Christ alone. So,
0: Absolutely. And couldn't agree more. Of course, um, if you're ever speaking to someone of the Jewish faith or the Muslim faith, um, you're going to find that... They'll look to the Old Testament and question, well, where, where does the Old Testament say that you're justified by faith? And this is where you point them to. (laughs) You point them to right here. (laughs) You say, okay, Abram at this point, it says right here. And God, he, God reckoned to him as righteousness. Okay. This is before the law. Not only that, this is before the covenants. This is before circumcision. This is before all the rules that you can, you know, all the rules that were established that God, you know, wanted everyone to follow. But is this what ultimately justified us? Is this is this what made us righteous? And the fact that this is before all of those rules.
1: This comes before the Mosaic Law, correct, yeah.
0: Yeah, before the Mosaic Law. Seems to be a good indication that faith here is extremely, extremely important. Ultimately, Paul says that we are saved by faith alone, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. However, you'll find other passages in the New Testament that seem to indicate that a saving faith is accompanied by some actions. And so you have a situation in which before God, you are seen as righteous by your belief, by your faith. But before man, as a demonstration of your faith, you can see that you're you're justified as a follower of of Christ through your works, and so so people will ultimately see that hey this person is a believer. Um, however, that's not you're not saved by by works. And of course, you know the whole idea is who in the who in the world could actually live up to God's perfection. I mean that's that that in and of itself is a bit of a um, ridiculous statement to think so highly of ourselves to think that we're not to think that we're worthy of to come before God and being justified by what we do when everyone's uh when the world is so fallen as it is so yeah any other thoughts on this in this paragraph here
1: no man you nailed it um yeah, and so there's the end of the, the paragraph. It talks about the animals. And so I wanted to wait and talk about those with this next paragraph because it kind of brings it all together and it'll make more sense if we discuss it per- the same at the same time.
0: Perfect. Knock it out, dude.
1: All right. Verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and greatness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenazite and the Cadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Refaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. So, uh, going back to the animals and Abram cutting them in half, this is an example of what was called a suzerian vassal treaty. And so, this is the kind of covenant. Or kind of agreement that two people would make, and what they would do is they would cut the animals in half, and they would walk through them together. The idea meaning that, like, if one of us does not keep our bargain, may we be cut in half like these animals. But if you'll notice that this was an uncon- – yeah, this is an unconditional agreement. This is only God who holds himself accountable to fulfill this covenant. Because he puts Abraham to sleep, and God uh, manifests Himself as a smoking oven, and an inflaming torch, to then go through the the animal pieces, the animal halves, and so this is the um, this is where kind of like the formal part or the finalization or I would say the the formal, um, you know, kind of whatever you call it. So this is the formal part where God. Um, seals the deal with the Abrahamic covenant. And, um, so obviously in, in earlier, like starting in verse 12, he, he made some promises to Abraham. And so this is the, the ceiling of it. Um, and so one of the things we see here, um, can is I'm, that God, sorry, go ahead.
0: Can I make a quick comment on that? Yeah. So absolutely. Um, you find here that. Abram is ultimately asking God a question. Abram said, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And so Abram, right here, is asking for some type of more evidence, right? God had given Abram all these promises. But Abram is asking for some additional clarity on how he will know that this will actually come to pass. And immediately you find after that, that's when this formalized covenant comes into play here. And so it seems like God is uh, giving Abram what he requested assurances on how Abram will know that he will ultimately possess this land.
1: I agree. Good thoughts. And one of the things um, within this next section that it talks about is that uh, verse 13, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. So um, we see that he's talking about the time when they were slaves in Egypt um and when, when when he raised up Moses to get them out. Now they weren't slaves 430 years, so this appears to be God's giving just a roundabout number, but he did predict it um that it would happen. And so um and then he predicted a lot of things, but I will judge that nation um whom they will serve, and afterward you'll come out with many possessions. So we saw that happen in the Exodus as well, that the Egyptians gave them their gold and all sorts of things. Um, and then he promises Abraham a long life. and then he talks about how he's not going to judge the Amorites yet because they're still kind of building up judgment against themselves, but then he will he will judge them. And so um, he goes on to talk about the land more though, when he talks about the the boundaries of the, the land of Israel that he's going to give Abraham, Abram. And so the last two ver- or the last three verses, 19, 20 and 21, appear to be helping um, d- discuss what those boundaries are by talking about where these different people groups are um, that will be pushed, that will be, uh, ha- the Israelites will have to fight against in order to take the land.
0: Absolutely. So there's a prophecy here. God's making a prophecy. Hey, this is going to happen your descendants. For fo hundo years, there's going to be some... Serious judgment that's going to ultimately take place. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. And I've heard it read that generations could be counted as increments of 100 years. And so this whole idea, the question is how much time was it, how much time was it an actual 400 years? And I think uh, Dr. Constable actually has a pretty sweet graph on this. And so there's... Looks like there's some different time references to Israel's years in Egypt, okay? And there's these different time frames that can really can be sit, considered here. 1875, Jacob moves to Egypt. 1845, Israelites begin to be enslaved. 1446, the Exodus and the giving of the Mosaic Covenant. And 1395, the conquest of completed now this is all bc of course and so really the question is what 400 year what hundred 400 year period are we talking about here and from the time jacob moves to egypt to the time of the exodus that is a 430 year period however the moment which israel the israelites were enslaved to the moment there was the exodus and the giving of the mosaic covenant I believe this is the 400 years of bondage in Egypt that they're actually re- referencing here. At Makes least that's to me. That's what Dr. Constable is really referencing previously. Moses gave more detail regarding the history of the seed here than he had revealed previously. The 400 years of enslavement were evidently from 1845 BC to 1446 BC the date of the Exodus. So Yeah thought that was interesting. Um, that is
1: interesting. Thank you for clarifying that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, there's a lot going on here. You know, the Abrahamic covenant, we previously learned about the Noahic covenant. Now we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant here. And what we're really talking about is land and descendants. And um, when God makes a promise, an unconditional promise, he ultimately fulfills that promise we have that guarantee and this will be important you know this covenant's actually referenced quite a bit throughout the rest of the bible so keep an eye go ahead and mark this on your bible put a little note on your put a little sticky note on your on on that page yeah Uh, that's a
1: good point about being referenced like whenever so there's a lot of um there's three different promises that we talk about land seed and blessing Mm. and so that this is the land one this is that land promise so Mm. yeah good call yo well
0: there's also mention of a um of a of a descendants promise up here as well right uh yep now look toward the heavens and 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 count the stars if you're able to count them so shall your descendants be so, unless you unless you think God decided to leave that part out whenever he walked through the, the animals cutting
1: the no, yes, yeah. no, definitely, yeah, that's that's relevant. Cool.
0: Thank you for listening. We're gonna be moving on to chapter sixteen very soon. Looking forward to it. Subscribe, like, notification bell, comment.
1: Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> All of that stuff.
0: Yeah. Why
1: wouldn't you want to?
0: Agreed. It only takes a second. So, so, yeah, we're going to jump straight into 16. Go ahead and click to the next video. See you soon. Boom.